Welcome to My Fair Katie, a film review podcast. I, Katie Shimmick, will watch movies with my dad. That'd be me, Scott Shimmick. Together we will dive into sometimes deep but hopefully always fun discussion of classic films. Today's movie is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Made in 1939, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is a political drama about an idealist learning the harsh realities of politics. The title role of the young senator, Jefferson Smith, is played by Jimmy Stewart in his breakout role. Claude Rains, who I recognize as the French captain in Casablanca, plays the senior senator, Joseph Payne. Hollywood veteran Gene Arthur plays the pragmatic chief of staff, known simply as Saunders. The movie was directed by Frank Capra in the middle of his other classics, It Happened One Night, and It's a Wonderful Life. Governor Hopper has to pick a replacement for a recently deceased senator. Jim Taylor, the corrupt leader of the local political machine, pressures Hopper to choose his hand-picked puppet while the public wants a reformer. The governor's children want him to select Jefferson Smith, the head of the Boy Rangers. Unable to make up his mind between Taylor's puppet and the reformer, Hopper decides to flip a coin. But it lands on an edge next to a newspaper story featuring Smith. Hopper thinks that he can satisfy both camps with this choice. A wide-eyed Mr. Smith tours the Capitol monuments while his new assistant, Saunders, waits for the new country bumpkin to arrive. Senator Joseph Payne, who was Smith's late father's oldest and bestest friend, is the senior senator and decides to mentor Mr. Smith. Jeff develops an immediate attraction to the senator's lovely daughter, Susan. Mr. Smith is naive with the press, who quickly label him a bumpkin, with no business being a senator. Payne tries to keep Mr. Smith busy and not paying attention to Payne's important legislation, and suggests Mr. Smith propose a bill. Mr. Smith dreams up legislation that would authorize a federal government loan to buy some land in his home state for a boys' camp to be paid by the youngsters across America. Donations pour in. However, the proposed campsite is already part of a dam-building graph scheme included in a public works bill framed by the Taylor political machine and supported by Senator Payne. Payne is pressured by the political machine to bury Mr. Smith, but Payne resists at first. Taylor reminds him that Payne is now in power because of Taylor's influence. The machine accuses Smith of trying to profit from his bill by producing fraudulent documents showing that Smith owns the land in question. Smith is shocked by this betrayal. He can't believe that the honorable senators can behave this way, that he runs away. However, Saunders now sees him as a good man, not a bumpkin. She sees his imminent expulsion from the Senate and talks him into launching a filibuster to postpone the bill and prove his innocence. While Smith talks and talks, his constituents try to rally around him, but the Taylor machine is too powerful. Due to this influence... Newspapers and radio stations back home refuse to report what he has to say and add new lies about Mr. Smith. The Boy Rangers spread the news but are attacked by Taylor's minions. Although all hope seems lost, the Senators begin to pay attention as Smith reaches his breaking point. But Payne has one more shot. He brings in bins of letters and telegrams from home in response to the Taylor machine's fake news. Mr. Smith vows to press on until people believe him, but immediately collapses into a faint. Overcome with guilt and Mr. Smith's pleas to his lost integrity, Payne leaves the Senate chamber and attempts to shoot himself. When he is stopped, he bursts back into the Senate chamber and loudly confesses to everything. So widely viewed, a long-standing classic, AFI Top 100 Films, number 29 in the original list, number 26 in the 10th anniversary list.
the fifth most inspiring film of all time. Where's Rocky on that list? Um, I think it's six. Sorry. What's above Rocky? What can be above Rocky? Well, maybe we'll get to all those. And Jefferson Smith is the number 11 hero on the AFI list. That's pretty fair. Pretty fair. Rotten Tomatoes, 95%. Pretty high. Popcorn rating, 94%. Metacritic gives it a 73. And IMDb has it an 8.2. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars in maybe the greatest year in film history. It was nominated for Outstanding Production, which is what they called Best Best Picture. Picture. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Actor. It was nominated for Best Director. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for both Claude Rains and for Harry Carey, and not the Harry Carey of the Chicago Cubs fame. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Music Scoring, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Recording, and it won the Oscar for Best Writing Original Story for Lewis Foster. I don't think it should have been nominated for Best Music at all. There was no music in it, like, at all, except for, like, in the beginning when there's montages. Compared to even other movies from 1939, there wasn't a lot of music, was there? No. The Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, lots of music in those. Yeah. But there's really good songs in Wizard of Oz. There are really good songs in Wizard of Oz, but it's a musical. All right, so let's talk about some of the historical background of the movie. At the time, much Europe was already embroiled in World War II. The United States was still sitting it out, though. Many critics, mostly from politics, protested the movie claiming that the movie hurt America by casting a doubt on the integrity of its institutions. Chief among these was Joseph Kennedy. He was ambassador to Great Britain at the time, and he was the father of future President Kennedy, future Attorney General and would-be President Bobby Kennedy, and to Senator Ted Kennedy. He claimed it hurt America's reputation in Europe at a very important time. Well, of course he said that because he was a politician. (laughs) Right? It made senators look pretty bad, didn't it? In the following years, Germany clamped down on American films as part of its propaganda machine. So American movies weren't allowed to be shown through most of Europe where the Germans had advanced. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington became a protest film. Theater owners would show Mr. Smith as a protest film to protest the censorship from the Nazi government. So knowing some of this historical background, does it change your opinion on the film at all? Yes, it's not just about standing up for what you think is right. It's also inspiring other people in other countries to stand up for what they think is right. All right, let's talk about our hero, Mr. Smith. AFI considers him to be one of the greatest heroes in movie history, right? They have him at number 11. That's pretty fair. Oh, I thought you were going to say something about Rocky. Oh, Rocky being number one? Not quite, but close. So what were Mr. Smith's motivations in the movie? He just wanted to do what he thought was right. Right for himself? No, right for America. Right for America. America. So was he really a good guy? He was a good guy because he was standing up for what he thought was right, even though he knew that it was going to hurt his career and, like, himself. Was he too good? Yes. Because, like, there wasn't any flaws about him that you could see in the movie. Except for his little attraction to Susan, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that got him into trouble. He didn't learn about the dam. (gasps) (gasps) He didn't... (laughs) We didn't learn about the dam because he was too busy flirting around with Susan and traveling the town. Are you even allowed to miss, like, an important meeting? Well, I don't know if you're supposed to, but I don't know that our senators are there every day. (laughs) So what were Mr. Smith's motivations? 
to stand up for what he thought was right. Did that get him into trouble? It did because, like, so many people, like, hated him for it. And he was also going to lose his spot in the Senate. Did he do anything that got him into trouble? Yes. What? Susan. What about Susan? He went on a date with her instead of going to the meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Is that inconsistent for his character? Or do you think that that is consistent with him being more naive about the goings-on in Washington? More naive, because he didn't really know anything about it. So is he really a bumpkin in the end? No. He learns to stick up for himself. There's a fine line between being naive and having faith in something that you believe in. Yeah, there is, isn't there? I guess Jimmy Stewart did a good job of walking that line, though, right? Yeah. So what was his toughest choice that he made in the film? Whether to vote yes and have, like, as long as he wanted in the Senate... Or just stick up for what he thought was right and vote no. And what if it was you? What would you have chosen? I might have done the same thing that he did, but I definitely would have been on the fence about it because that's like saying yes to one bad thing. Think about like how many good things that you could do. And that's what his point was, kind of. What would you do? <laughs> that's a tough one. I'd like to think I would do the same thing as Mr. Smith, but I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would. Because it's a hard decision because he has, like, so much money and power. And he takes control of everybody, like, around him. And it's, in a way, like, you're getting peer pressured into doing it. Yeah. You know, that's a great thing about Mr. Smith is that he stood up to that. It's almost like he was standing up to bullies. Yeah. It'd be great if we could get more people in Washington like that, wouldn't it? Yeah. My Fair Katie is brought to you by The Taylor Machine. For decades, the Taylor Machine has fixed the many problems faced by dozens of senators, congressmen, and governors. So many of these public figures scrimp and save to get by on the meager graft off of local businessmen and their constituents. The Taylor Machine is one of the most effective ways to grow your graft in an increasingly competitive marketplace. With millions of businesses out there all vying for the same advantages that can be granted by hundreds of different politicians, it's never been more important to operate efficiently. The Taylor Machine is the most effective way to promote your influence and grow your revenues. As an introductory offer to My Fair Katie podcast listeners, the Taylor Machine will grant you a free one-election trial. As Jim Taylor says himself, join my machine or be ground in its gears. So call today. All right, now let's flip to the other side. The just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy conversation, (laughs) right? So, with motivations, who was the bad guy here? Was it Senator Payne? Yeah, and Jim Taylor. And Jim Taylor. But let's focus on Senator Payne for a minute. What were his motivations in this? Right now, it's probably to make money. But before, he was kind of in the same position as Mr. Smith was. He wanted to do good, but so many people were telling him not to. But it was like... The difference between the two that Mr. Smith chose to do the good thing, where Senator Payne decided to get sucked into it, and now like he's just getting deeper and deeper into the lies. So do you think he had a point then? Kind of. I think that we would both agree that there would be like a part of us that would definitely be on the fence about saying yes or no, voting yes or no. So I kind of think that he did have a point. So was he really a bad guy? 
Not really, because he used to be friends with Mr. Smith's dad, and so, like, they were kind of close, and so maybe that's, like, a part of... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So is he, like, Darth Vader, where at the end of Return of the Jedi, he becomes a good guy again and becomes Anakin Skywalker just for a moment? You can't say that, though. Why not? (laughs) Because what if somebody hasn't seen Star Wars? Seriously? If they're listening to this podcast and they haven't seen Return of the Jedi, they really need to do something different with their lives. <laughs> like, you've made some bad choices. Well, is he? Yes, because he did change at the end. He did change his mind. He did. He probably lost his job, too. <laughs> yeah, I would think he was going to jail at the end of the movie. What do you think? Yeah. Wait, I mean. What? He confessed to all that graft. He confessed to lying and, and making up the stories about about Jimmy Stewart and forging the papers and stealing the money and all the things that went into it. He confessed to it right there on the Senate floor. Wait, is um, Taylor going to get in trouble too? I would think so. Oh, okay. I mean, he didn't confess, but Senator Payne is probably going to... Tell on him. <laughs> tell on him. Yeah. Tattletale. <laughs> right. A tattletale. Or, you know, turn state's witness is what you would say. I like tattletale. <laughs> A snitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next category is the setting. So, obviously, the setting of this movie is Important. Washington, D.C. Right. It's Washington, D.C. It's the Senate. That's. Yeah. It can't really can't be set anywhere else. Yeah. Right. I mean, that the story is revolving around that setting. So that's a key to it. Did they do a good job of of showing the setting? It was because that whole scene with Washington, D.C. and the monuments, that was really important to the setting. It was because it showed Mr. Smith how enamored he was with the whole thing, right? Yeah, and how much like he loved America. Right. So kind of that line between bumpkin and naive... He was really naive because he really loved it all. He wasn't a bumpkin who was like, look at this big thing. (laughs) Right? Yeah. He really loved it and was excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he snuck away in the beginning. The craft work of the movie. So let's talk about the cinematography and the filming. Why was it in color? Like Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz was in color. Well, color was really new at the time. Recolored movies didn't come about until, I think, Snow White, which was only two years before. So it was a big deal and an expensive process. But also, you can't get the same feeling out of color that you can get out of black and white. right? We've watched a bunch of black and white movies where you really feel like the mood and the intensity because it's all shadow. Everything is just shadows. Like right? mysteries. That has like a really cool effect. Looks- yeah, like when we watched Maltese Falcon, right? Yeah. Right? How like it really had a certain mood to it. And Psycho. And Psycho, yes, very good, right? But in in this movie, do you think the black and white is important, or do you think if they had filmed it in color, it would have kept that same character? I think the black and white is probably like important because in like Wizard of Oz, like there was like a huge change between the two worlds. You need lots of light for color, right? Yeah, you do. And like it might have taken away some of it if it was really bright in the senate chamber if it was in color yeah it's hard to do that kind of brightness especially with early color movies is a good point and indoors how about the music we talked about the music a little bit it was nominated for an oscar but it didn't really have that much music didn't have that much music no movie today would have a lot more music right yeah but it was also 1939 80 years ago yeah 
So a movie today would have like tons of music during the filibuster scene and everything to build up the drama. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra were like so powerful, so they didn't really need the music to cover up. Good point. Costume design seemed pretty straightforward in this movie, right? Yeah. Just everybody wearing suits of the day. Yeah. It'd be nice if people still dressed like that. Did you notice people in the gallery were all wearing suits? Yeah. That would be nice if if people still like dressed up to go places like that. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> when we go to the opera, some people are wearing jeans. Yeah, that's terrible. I don't even know what's going on. I mean, I can see wearing like a, you know. Like a nice sweater, but like jeans. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Why not just wear shorts? Why not just wear your pajamas everywhere? (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) You You would get to wake up later to go to like work or school. Just brush your teeth and go? And your hair. You want to do that for school? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll talk to mommy about it. Oh, never mind. (laughs) All right, next category is editing. How'd you think the editing was? In the beginning, I felt like it was really slow. The third act was definitely the most interesting, but the first two acts were really slow, and they didn't need to be that long. All right, let's pick some nits here. I I have two. Okay, what are your two? The first one is... Um, you probably shouldn't leave if there's, like, an important meeting. Like, to go on a date with somebody. That seems inconsistent with his character, right? Yeah. And also, that one scene where, like, all the boys are, like, giving out the newspapers, there's, like, one particular scene, they're in the car, driving it, and then this truck that probably works for Jim Taylor just, like, comes and, like, knocks them over. They would probably get sued for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was only, like, one day. Maybe they did get sued. But you can't do that. That would probably kill them. Seems awfully dangerous. Yeah, and especially because it was like a convertible, too. Nice. And they just rammed into it. (laughs) Yeah, so here's mine. So how long was he filibustering for? 23 hours and 16 minutes. Okay. And how many times is he allowed to go pee during a filibuster? Zero times. So... You're telling me that for 23 hours and 16 minutes, he didn't go pee. And he also had, like, a glass of water and, like, a thermos. He could have worn diapers. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. It would be a solution if he had a diaper. Now, I don't... Did they have diapers in 1939? Like, for adults. Did they have... Depends. He could have just made some out of cloth. Yeah, he could have just worn like a regular baby diaper, just tucked a couple of them in there. <laughs> he knew he was going to filibuster, didn't yeah. come out of the blue, because remember he pulled out apples and yeah, and a thermos of coffee? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he did. Maybe he just wore a diaper, so you solved my problem. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> All right. The big picture. So let's talk about what was the message of the film. Well, I thought of two at first. The first one was always stand up for what you think was right, which is pretty self-explanatory. Even though everybody was telling him to vote, yes, he still voted no. And also, don't judge a book by its cover, which I guess you can always like work into almost like every single film. He thought that the Senate chamber was why America was so great at the time and why like everything was perfect almost, and that it was like a perfect place where there were no lies. So how about the context of this movie in today's world? 
It's almost perfect. Why is that? Because people believe like whatever they read online, uh-huh. and that's really similar to what was happening then. They believed what happened, what they read on the newspaper. Yeah. Instead of believing Mr. Smith. So the fake news. Yes. So it almost plays better today, doesn't it? Yeah, because it was only for like almost twenty-four hours. Right. And there were so many telegrams and letters. And then all the news news stories came out, and then all the responses within 24 hours? Yeah. So, yeah, like, tweets would be totally reasonable, right? Yeah. Because you could tweet something out, and maybe maybe a Kardashian picks it up, and then everybody sees it? Yeah. Or a makeup artist on Instagram? A beauty guru. A beauty guru? <laughs> That's what they're called. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. So, if a beauty guru tweets it out, and then, you know, the president tweets out something on the other side, right? I don't think, like, Donald Trump would be following Jeffree Star or somebody like that. <laughs> I, I don't even have a response to that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but my point is, is that if we're in today's world, he wouldn't even need the diapers, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the response would come in within hours yeah. to the fake news, don't you think? Yeah, Probably. Probably. I still like the idea of Jimmy Stewart wearing a diaper. <laughs> All right. So where do you think this movie fits overall in the cinema history, you know, as far as you are familiar with it? It's not better than Rocky. Okay, I understand. <laughs> but, like, you know, do you think it's worthy of a top 100 movie rating? Yes. Yeah? Yes, it was really inspiring. Not as inspiring as Rocky, though. All right, and the Katie goes to. This is our time to talk about awards for the movie. The Cherry Limeade Award. Now, this is the award for the part of the movie that you could watch every single day. All right, I've only got two on here so that you could watch every single day. I've got two candidates, the filibuster scene and the Tour DC. And I have another one. Yeah, what do you got? Um, The Mrs. Saunders pep talk. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, that's a really good one. Okay, so... Of those three, which one are you giving the award to? The filibuster scene. It was really inspiring and really moving. And, like, I think that everybody should hear that, especially in, like, the world today. Yeah. The last words he's talking about, about the the lost causes and loving thy neighbor, mm-hmm. it, would, it would be great if everybody believed in things like that, wouldn't it? Yeah. But even that said, it's a classic scene in movie history. Yeah, I know. One of the greatest. Okay, so I guess I could watch it every day. Although it makes me tear up a little bit. Next award. This goes to 11. This is the award for the most over-the-top moment. My nominees are Mr. Smith's desperation and exhaustion with his voice cracking. He just can't even talk. Senator Payne's freak out at the end. And then I've got the pages falling in and out of love with Mr. Smith throughout the movie so quickly. Do you have any other nominations? No. So which is the winner? Well, the first one, he's talking for 23 hours straight, almost 24 hours. And that's a really long time to stand up and talk, so I kind of think that was, like, on point. So. Okay. I'm going to go, like, the pages falling in and out. I, mean, I don't know what I'd have to do if I went without peeing for 24 hours. <laughs> like, I would probably be about to pass out, too. I'm going to go with, like, the third one about, like, the pages falling in and out of love with him because it was only 24 hours 
and one, news wouldn't spread that quickly. And two, like, you either like somebody or you don't. Like, you can't have an opinion on that one change so fast. Maybe they like had... back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. Maybe they had, like, their own Twitter account in the 30s. Maybe. They just, like, wrote notes. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like I'm a crazy person? <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> we'll go with the pages. Although, I thought the freakout was a little bit over the top. Yeah. I'm going to go with Senator Payne's freakout at the end. You don't get to choose. Fine, I don't get to choose, but I'm going to argue for it anyway. Okay, fine. Okay, and maybe you'll change your mind. Okay. Okay, so when he freaks out, he doesn't even make it out of the, the hallway, back to his office. He's trying to shoot himself right there, right past the door. Where did he even get a gun? I'm going back with nitpicking. Where does Senator Payne get a gun? Like, just magically appears out of nowhere. Maybe it was, like, in a, like, glass case. Oh, do you think, like, the Senate has, like, in case of emergency, and there's a guns inside of it, and they just break it open, and, like, in case they need to shoot themselves from disgrace? It's a serious nit. Yeah. Like, beyond a nit, I mean, maybe it's a flaw the more I'm talking about it. That's sad. Goes in there and instantly tries to shoot himself and then runs back in and confesses everything? Yeah, I agree with you. Did I sell you on it? Yes. 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 Next award, the McDonald's French Fries Award. This goes to the most delicious side item in the movie. Who likes French fries? Everybody likes McDonald's French fries. I don't. Well, I don't care. You pick the winners. I name the awards. Okay. Okay. I've only got two nominees on this one. Diz, the... He was creepy. <laughs> he was creepy. <laughs> okay. I guess he's not going to win. You're right. He was creepy. But I was going to say, <laughs> the drunken sidekick, the Saunders, the newspaper man. But yeah, he was creepy. And the other one, the president of the Senate. The president of the Senate. He was my favorite, too. Yeah. Like... He was one of my favorite characters in the whole entire movie. He was absolutely my favorite character in the whole movie. <laughs> He had hardly any lines. But, like, he smiled and, like, he laughed at, like, things. And I, I don't know. It was just funny. Right, like, he's not supposed to laugh. So he would kind of laugh and then cover it up. It was yeah. great. It was great. And he got nominated for an Oscar for it and hardly had any lines at all. So kudos to Harry Carey. Yeah. Not Harry Carey of Chicago Cubs fame. Next category. It's the Pictures That Got Small Award. This is for the best quote of the movie. There's a lot of inspiring quotes. There are. I got a bunch here. I'm going to read through them. You tell me which one you think is the best. First one, Mr. Smith. Take a look at this country through her eyes. He's talking about the eyes of the statue on the top of the Capitol. Through her eyes, if you really want to see something, and you won't just see scenery, you'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Fighting for something better than just jungle law. Fighting so's he can stand on his own two feet. Yeah, he said so's. So he can stand on his own two feet, free and decent, like he was created, no matter what his race, color, or creed. That's what you'd see. There's no place out there for graft, or greed, or lies, or compromise with human liberties. Is that when, like, everybody was paying attention to him? And, like, everybody was, like, staring at him? Yeah, he got, like, applause from the gallery on that one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Next one, also, Mr. Smith. It's not too late, because this country's bigger than the Taylors, or you, or me, or anything else. Great principles don't get lost once they've come to light. They're right here. You just have to see them again. 
I really like that quote. I like that one too. I think that one's really applicable today. All right, this one's from Saunders in the speech you mentioned before. Your friend Mr. Lincoln had his tailors and pains. So did every other man who ever tried to lift his thought up off the ground. Odds against them didn't stop those men. They were fools that way. All the good that ever came into this world came from fools with faith like that. That one's also pretty good. Well, they're all good. That's why they're nominated. Thank you. (laughs) All right, Bill Griffith. Welcome, Senator. The wildlife around here is a little different from what you're used to. They wear high heels. That's not nice. No, it's not nice. Probably not appropriate either. I'm not going to vote for that one. Okay. All right, I'm going to take it off. Okay. All right. Mr. Smith again. My dad had the right idea. He had it all worked out. He used to say to me, son, don't miss the wonders that surround you because every tree, every rock, every anthill, every star is filled with the wonders of nature. And he used to say to me, have you ever noticed how grateful you are to see daylight again after coming through a long, dark tunnel? Well, he'd say, always try to see the life around you as if you just come out of a tunnel. That one's my favorite. I like that one a lot. That one's really applicable to today. So which one Which one do you think is the winner? The last one, that, the one that you just read. Light coming out of the tunnel? Yeah. Yeah, that is good. It's a great way to view life, right? Yeah. Because there is no light without dark. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Who won the movie? Clarissa. Because she inspired him to do what he did. She did, yeah. And they fell in love, too. All right. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Not a lot of people realize this, but it's actually an Otis Redding song remade by Aretha Franklin. Should Mr. Smith Go to Washington be remade? I don't know if it'd have the same, like, effect on it, but it definitely would work in today. Because with social media and fake news, that really ties into Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It probably wouldn't have the same effect, though. Probably doesn't have the same impact, but it, it could it could be even better today, I think. Yeah. Except you'd lose Jimmy Stewart, and it's really hard to replace Jimmy Stewart. Who would you put in that role? Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt is actually... Because you could add some humor into the movie, which would make it like a, more interesting, especially yeah. in the first two acts. And also, Chris Pratt is really likable. He just is... Just like... Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, he is. He is really likable, and he does play that naivete well, doesn't he? Yeah. So would you go with Parks and Rec Chris Pratt or buffed out Guardians of Galaxy Chris Pratt? Parks and Rec. (laughs) You don't like him buff? Well, I do, but... He's more handsome than Sylvester Stallone. That's not true. Not in Rocky IV, he's not. Last category, that's a wrap. Brief takeaways of the movie. I'll go first. I think the movie is way more relevant today than I thought it was when we rewatched it. When I was watching it and saw all the stuff about fake news and all that, I was blown away at how relevant it is 80 years later and how powerful the end of the movie still is. And I agree with you that the beginning is a little slow. But that's my brief takeaway. Brief? Okay. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> brief. <laughs> What's your brief takeaway? My brief takeaway is don't let other people impact your decisions because he did have the right thought and he did do what he thought was right, which was right. So are we recommending or not recommending the movie? Recommend. 
To whom? Everybody? Everybody right now, yeah. Yeah. Especially, like, teenagers. Especially teenagers. Because they're the future, and they need to see something like this. Teenagers are the future. That's really scary. <laughs> I know too many teenagers to feel comfortable with that. <laughs> I'm still 11. <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. <laughs>